politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to guard everything that we hold dear. Life, liberty, property, way of life, standard of living, and humanity itself here at CR Podcast. Your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today for Tuesday, May the 2nd. And as always, standing for substance, standing for outcomes, for what matters. And recently I was thinking, I was thinking back to how is it that in 2008, John McCain won the GOP nomination? And it wasn't particularly close. I mean, he pretty much swept his way into it. Same thing with Mitt Romney in 2012. Frankly, same thing for most of our history. Bob Dole in 1996, the man who subverted the contract with America, we couldn't get anything done in the Senate. How come it was always the Republican who subverted our agenda the most that was elevated to the highest position within the party and unfortunately in a two-party system viewed as representing our side? And then I thought, well, honestly, if you look carefully... It's nothing new, and we're still continuing that to this very day. And it got me wondering, is it that Republican voters don't give a darn about substance and they just want the show? So whatever at moment is the show, now I know John McCain doesn't sound like a very appetizing show, Bob Dole, but at the time, that's what was put in front of them. Oh, this is it. It's that or the Democrat. Beat the Democrat. That's all they care. Or is it just... A lack of knowledge, the fact that we have a professional class that is so perfidious and corrupt and loserish that they put on the plates and etch in the minds of our voters' stupidity so they're just unaware of all the betrayals and all the things that a lot of these Republicans do. So they just vote accordingly. And it's kind of the same thing with all these primaries on governor and senate and congress that the establishment wins 70 to 30 is it that they just don't care about substance or is it they don't know i don't know i mean maybe maybe we'll we'll explore this a little bit today but i want to continue a little bit with what we talked about yesterday in state legislatures how we don't have our version of a minnesota we don't have a red state as red as blue states are blue and we continue just being satisfied with perfidious Republicans, lack of outcomes. You see in Florida, I can't even keep track of the things DeSantis signed yesterday. Law and order, fentanyl, death penalty for for child rapists, mandatory minimums, expanding pre-trial detention for violent criminals, um, limiting term limits at school boards. I, I, I mean, ESG bill. I don't know. I mean, do people not care? Does that not mean anything? Or do we... Do we just want to continue the show? So we'll explore that. We'll talk a little bit about some of the happenings in state legislatures with Andy Roth of the Freedom Caucus Network coming up. First, our sponsor today, QP Goat Soap. With Mother's Day coming up, a lot of you are probably struggling to find, man, what sort of gift should I give my mother or my wife that I haven't given between that and birthdays, anniversaries? You run out of uh, ideas over time. Well, a unique one is... Soap, a year's supply of soap, but not just any soap, the healthiest uh, soap to put on your body 
all natural ingredients, courtesy of a 15-year-old entrepreneur, one of our Blaze Media family uh, subscribers, Christian homeschooling family, the Pittmans, that's QP, Quinn Pittman, QPGoatSoap.com, they are offering right now a special package for Mother's Day. If you want to go to their website at QPGoatSoap.com, you will find the four seasons of soap, basically 20 bars with five different bars for each season, so that's a year supply, normally 120 bucks. Mother's Day package is 99 You put in promo code Daniel, 89 bucks for a year's worth of soap, and you will also support one of our families rather than Dove and Zest and the cartel that all donate to ESG and transgender causes. Um, again, it's just all made with natural ingredients, palm oil, things that won't inflame your skin, and it gets in your body as well. So keep that in mind when you go to qpgoatsoap.com. Offer code Daniel. So, folks, let me just say this. I want to make it very clear. On the one hand, I'm not shy about saying the difference between DeSantis and Trump is is night and day in terms of electoral viability, but more importantly, in terms of our values, getting things done, focusing on the issues that matter and the way they matter, not caring about donors, not caring about what the liberal media thinks of you. We're seeing in real time the contrast couldn't be greater. While one is focusing on one victory after another, another one is sitting and having a town hall with CNN, giving them coverage um, where he knows that he'll be able to bash DeSantis without anyone there, and CNN will lop it up. But he's going to fight the media. So anyway... I was putting this all together, thinking about how how we had Bob Dole and George W. Bush and um, McCain and and Romney. Again, it was the most liberal Republican of the time that got the nominee. And it's like, is this what people want? They just care about the show? Or is it that they're uninformed and we have a leadership that misinforms the base, unlike the left that has a leadership that empowers their base? And I saw this CBS poll, which really is the most comprehensive poll I've seen, both on the the primary, the general election. And it demonstrates, like every poll, that on paper, Trump is way ahead in the primary, winning by like 30 points. Um, but then they break it down and try to push people. Well, what if you, you know, DeSantis got in the race and who would you consider? And it's interesting. 24% would only consider Trump. So I think that that reflects that there is a floor of people that that's all they care about, you know, nothing else. Um, 27% would not consider him, so that's the other end of the spectrum. And then 49% would consider Trump, and they would consider other candidates as well. And that's how, you know, obviously Trump starts out way ahead, but if you push the numbers between people off the bat, would automatically vote for DeSantis, as well as those that would consider, it winds up getting him to 52%, potentially, potentially. So I think that that's kind of is an accurate portrayal of where things are. Trump is way ahead, but Ward DeSantis get in, make the case for himself. He could make it a race, and especially the fact that Iowa comes first, and um, you know Trump lost Iowa last time. It's not a national primary that would uh, benefit the one with you know full name ID and and full income and support. But what what caught my I caught my mind here, caught my eye, was. When they asked, who who would you support? What issues would make you the most likely to support a nominee? And the top one was 85%, garnered 
of GOP primary voters challenges woke ideas. Okay, well, that's, you know, okay. 66% oppose gun control. 61% say that if you believe Trump really won in 2020, the election was stolen. And 57% make liberals angry. So that was actually the bottom of the four. Then among those voting for Trump, what's your top thing? 94% said past performance as president. 94% said fights for people like me. 84% say would beat Biden. And I'm thinking like, again, is it that people are okay with him supporting gay marriage, taking the abortion issue off the table completely, um, you know, siding with the Federal Reserve, COVID fascism to this day, siding with lockdowns, not just the vaccines, um, side, I mean, every one of his appointees, the budget bills, the debt, you name it. Or is it just that they don't know about it? I mean, relative to the Democrats, I mean, this is what it always was. Oh my gosh, Daniel, we have to beat Obama. McCain's the guy. Bush is the guy. Romney's the guy. So they just don't think too deeply about it. And it's just they they immediately go to the candidate they know. And Trump this time around is the establishment candidate. I mean, that's that's obvious. He was a former president. Um, and that's all they know. Or is it they don't care? Email me, Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. I'm curious what you guys think. Um, is it that they just don't know what this audience knows? Or is it that they don't care? And again, don't just answer me with, oh, well, it's a cult around Trump. So, of course, they don't care. I, th- there might be some people like that. But you also have to answer the fact that there's nothing new about that. It's been that way. All along, pretty much every presidential nominee, we've never really nominated a conservative in the allegedly conservative party. You know, Trump spoke to some of those issues and a few of them he fulfilled. A lot of others he didn't. But we've had Romney, we've had McCain, we've had Bush, we've had Dole, we've had H.W. Bush. I mean, you go back to Reagan. And I know a lot of us, you know, there's things that weren't perfect about him. But, but I mean, you go back since then, we've always nominated the most liberal guy. So I'm just trying to figure out, does our base just enjoy the, this nonsense? Or do they actually care about substance? And by the way, if you care about substance, it's time to stop supporting those who hate you. Stop supporting voting for the Mitt Romney equivalent of vital goods and services. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. They offer dependable nationwide coverage. You could keep your phone number. You could easily make the switch. They could... Switch your number under their plan. If you don't like it, you could always move back. Go to patreonmobile.com slash CR, offer code CR, or call 878-PATRIOT. Make sure to give offer code CR for free activation. Ask about their coverage guarantee while you're there. Make the switch today to those who support religious freedom, the sanctity of life, support our values and our people, rather than those who support spying and surveilling on America, Americans like Verizon and, and T-Mobile. Again, 878-PATRIOT or patriotmobile.com slash CR, offer code CR. So here's the deal. Um, you have this story yesterday. This is from Real Clear Politics, Philip Wegman. He calls them the enemy of the people and often delights when supporters chant CNN sucks. 
But Donald Trump won't let animosity get in the way of good television. Former president will sit down with a town hall hosted by CNN next week. Senior Trump advisor explained away the apparent incongruity, telling RCP the reason they accepted the invitation. Network executives made a compelling pitch. Oh, okay. Um, interesting. So they made a compelling pitch. Again, it's not a surprise why why all these stories are being planted about DeSantis in the media. It's a symbiotic relationship. The media needs Trump. Trump needs the media. And it's a fake fight. I, I'm just telling you, here's the sick irony. It's the same thing that got us the nomination that the media would work with the liberal Republican every time. Talk radio would say, this is the person who could win. You got to beat the Democrat. And that's it. There's nothing new about this. That's what's so funny. This is straight out of the McConnell-Romney-McCain playbook. It's such a freaking joke. And meanwhile, DeSantis truly has a bad relationship with the media. He's true to his word. But then what's sick is the conservative media. And this is what really scares me. This is my point, and we'll kind of transpose into our discussion about the state legislatures. As much as I think DeSantis would by far be the best president we've had since Calvin Coolidge, and I think, you know, obviously he's light years ahead of Trump on every last thing that matters, from character to values to principle to discipline to policy to strategy to seeing things through to not relying on pressure, all of that stuff. But if God were to come to me tomorrow and say, all right, Daniel, you could... I could give you one wish. You get one or the other. Either your favorite person as is elected president, both in the primary and general, I could make DeSantis president tomorrow. Or if you're a Trump supporter, for whatever reason, well, let's just say for you, you can make Trump president tomorrow. In other words, you get the presidential election or you get every red state, let's say 25 states, supermajority trifectas with the governor and House and Senate leadership oriented like DeSantis, or like your perception of what you think Trump is, but isn't. But we're on the same page because we want the same things. It's just some people think Trump believes in that. Okay, that's fine. But my point is, you'd be stupid. You'd be insane. You'd be short-sighted not to take the latter. I would much rather have that because if you have half the states with people like that, you're done. You have a place to go for refuge. You have a place to go where you could have your own economy, own values, and the the sky's the limit. You look at what DeSantis is accomplishing every day and imagine if you had every other governor like that in a red state and also the Senate and House leadership of the respective legislatures. Remember, as I say before, the Florida legislature, with a few exceptions, they suck. They're awful. They're really bad. I mean, the Republican leadership dating back to Rick Scott, and you had, you had Charlie Crist, you had Jeb Bush. I mean, the Florida Republican Party was a toilet. People have very high expectations, as they should, but they don't realize where, where you're coming from. You still have pretty bad leadership there. So imagine if everyone were swimming in the same direction versus you have the same GOP, Albeit you can get your best guy. And let's say you believe it's DeSantis. It's DeSantis, you believe it's Trump. It's Trump as president. How much do you think you could accomplish? So this is my point. Even if you're into Trump, you'd be stupid to burn down DeSantis and totally ignore 
what he's doing in Florida and making that a pressure point for other states. But yet, this is at what has become of Republican media, and I'm finding it very disturbing. I noticed until a few months ago, it was almost universal. It ran the gambit of even somewhat establishment conservatives to principal conservatives to MAGA Inc., everyone. Everyone was on the same page. They were praising what was going on in Florida. And now when he's notching up one victory after another, I've noticed that not only are they staying away from criticizing Trump when he appallingly takes the most liberal positions on the most important issues of our time, like, like fighting Disney, which is the linchpin to why red states aren't red because you have the big corporations in each red state overpowering the government and buying out all the Republican legislators and the governor. But they won't even, at the same time, just cover what DeSantis is doing. And I've noticed it's very, it's, it's, it's a noticeable change. So there's a story that came out about Breitbart, and my buddy Pedro Gonzalez on his Contra Substack reports this. Leaked messages from Breitbart's internal Slack channel obtained by media reporter Oliver Darcy revealed this guy Matt Boyle, who is um, their political uh, reporting direct, like the uh, D.C. bureau chief, efforts to censor content that paints Florida DeSantis in even a mildly positive light. So again, this is not in the context of the presidential election. In the chats, Boyle told staffers that stories about the governor need approval from him, as well as editor-in-chief Alex Marlowe and the chief executive Larry Solov. Breitbart once ran a front-page headline blasting Trump as Amnesty Don for betraying his immigration promises, but current management appears to want to go in a different direction. And basically, they specifically took issue with a report that um, a reporter wanted for Breitbart wanted to cover DeSantis' commercial mocking Dylan Mulvaney and, and Bud Light. And Boyle instructed, hold off on the DeSantis thing. So remember, it's notable for two reasons. First of all, Don Jr. sided with Bud Light. Trump himself, Trump Sr. has been silent. And then, you know, Trump himself owns $5 million in Anheuser-Busch stock. But according to Darcy, Boyle received fierce pushback from the Breitbart writers Dylan Gwynn and John Nolte. Gwynn called him unhinged at one point, so they had an internal fight over this. But it illustrates how people who care about policy and principle increasingly find themselves at odds with those who are seemingly solely concerned with access to Trump. And Pedro notes how on December 16, 2022, um, Boyle interviewed Trump and amplified his support for McCarthy. The next day, Boyle gave cover to Trump for his endorsement of Rona McDaniel. Um, and... You know, th th this is the moral hazard I keep saying. There's one thing you want to say you support Trump. I, I don't care. But I want to be able to know that I could shake hands with you and we could work on the more important issue than whether, you know, it's it's Trump or, or DeSantis sitting in the Oval Office. The more important thing is that we can work together on things like a speaker's fight, an RNC chair's fight on state legislation, on, 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 on primaries for everything. But again, if Trump comes out, which I think he will, and endorses the rhino in Montana, endorses Jim Justice, the biggest COVID fascist in the world in West Virginia, 
all these same outlets are going to stand down. So you see what I'm saying? It's not just about president. It's about the whole of the party and making red states red. They're interfering with any agenda that we should all support. It's all to accommodate one man. They're walking around him. Again, I will say it again. In this respect, I mean, I, I would have to think about it if it's a hypothetical choice, but let's say you had a primary only between, I don't know, Nikki Haley and, and Donald Trump. So on the surface, we'd all say, well, you know, rather DeSantis, but if you only had those two, we certainly don't want Nikki Haley. And I agree with that. But on the other hand, there is this side here that at least if you had a Nikki Haley, it's like everyone would laugh off her grift and you'd have an organized, unified right to chart its own path. Whereas here, Trump himself paralyzes some of our core elements that we would typically need to push our other agendas, which are honestly more important than the presidential election, and he neuters them. This is a very serious point I'm making. It, it goes beyond the presidential election. And then obviously this whole thing that electability... I was told my whole career, electability is all that matters. Who's going to beat the Democrat? Well, the same polls that tr show Trump way ahead in the primary, the same ones, you can't divide them, they show that he's getting crushed with the independents in every state. There was just a poll out today that shows DeSantis up six in Georgia and Trump losing Georgia. It shows DeSantis virtually tied with Biden in Nevada, but... Trump losing by eight. And this is true of Wisconsin. It's true of Pennsylvania. It's true of Michigan. It's true of every state that you would conceivably need to win. And this is a man with 10,000% name ID. It's not going away. And these are, these are entrenched views. You can't promise the dynamic will be the same. I don't like to say 100% he can never win. But you look at the last three elections, the, the electorate that's been formed in 18, 2020, and 2022, it's painting the same picture that no matter how bad the economy is, you cannot get your foot in the door. What was interesting about this, um, this poll in Georgia is Biden had an approval rating of just 41%. He's not popular. But nonetheless, he was beating Trump. Again, this sort of behavior, a lot of people are like, no matter what, I'm going to support Trump. Okay, that might be you, but the voters that you need, this maniacal behavior, and again, there's one thing if you have the maniacal behavior towards a conservative ends, but it's not. What is it? It's all to service one man. I just don't understand it. These are legitimate questions that need to be raised. I'm not even saying... He needs to, re like, if I were like them, I'd say, look, every poll shows he's there, he absolutely is dead in the water in the general. He needs to back out and endorse DeSantis because we're told the most important thing my whole career was who beats the Democrat, right? Because otherwise it doesn't matter if you win the primary. But I'm not even saying that. I want a primary because I don't want DeSantis to have a free lane either. I want competition. But my gosh, they won't even raise the questions on policy, on how he operates with the media, how he operates with the big GOP donors, how he gets convinced to go with the latest Fed, his personnel hirees, before I even get to the bearing false witness, the terrible people around him, the character, the just psychotic behavior, you put it all together and it's like, no one's willing to raise these questions and a lot of them know, they know. 
See, this is the good thing about barely earning enough of a living to support my family in this, is that I just, I have nothing to lose. I just don't care. But this is what it is. It, see, to them, you have to understand, they might know that Trump is bad on policy personnel and can't win a general. And that he's actually trying to burn down our one success story in Florida. But at the end of the day, you don't need to win an election to grow a brand. If you're earning millions of dollars in conservative media, you'll be there to earn those same millions of dollars if Biden is reelected. You don't care. And again, to me, like I already told you, that's not even my biggest thing. I would rather Biden be reelected and remake red states than not remake red states and have a Republican. Like, not that they work against each other. I'm just saying, if you gave me the choice, to me, that's not the end all. But my colleagues disagree. I'm the only one who says that. To them, the end all is who is going to win the presidential election. So they got to see this polling data. Because again, it's the same polling data that shows Trump winning the primary, although that's more superficial as noted by the CBS poll, were DeSantis to come in, he has a ton of money in organization, run a good campaign, and a, a staggered non-national primary beginning with Iowa, that's a different story. I'm not saying he's going to win, but I'm saying it's, it's not what the polls show. Whereas the general election, there's, no, there's almost no room for him to grow. That's the problem. Those polls are more meaningful. Primaries are very volatile because we're you know, officially on the same side. And just, you know, whoever is the cool flavor gets gets a moment of notoriety. Whereas here, everyone, I mean, Trump and Biden, it's a thousand percent name ID. And we're seeing the same enduring trend since 2018 with these independent voters, particularly in the states that matter the most, that you're absolutely going to need to get to 270. But they don't care. Would you rather piss off some of the listenership or would you rather not play both ends of the stick and your bottom line is not going to be effective? If anything, you'll, you'll do good with another four years of Biden. doesn't hurt you. That's the moral hazard we have here. That's why we have a lack of leadership. That's why we have a lack of results. But I want to get to where we are in results, someone who is working on results. Our uh, final sponsor today, this interview is sponsored by Jace Medical. By the way, it's with an S, not a C. Some of you have been sending me emails. Um, it's jasemedical.com. When, not if, but when you have a shortage, because we already do have a shortage of antibiotics at the pharmacy, and government tries to choke off the next treatment for the next ailment that they uh, unleash on us with gain of function, you will need your Jace case ready at hand for the next emergency. It's five life-saving antibiotics, doxycycline, zithromycin, amoxicillin. There is a big shortage with a few of them. You'll have them right there. How do you get it? jacemedical.com. You fill out a survey so you get a legitimate legal prescription. Make sure you're not allergic or something like that. Then put in promo code review to get a special discount on your purchase at the order, and you will be prepared taking the health of yourself and your loved ones in your own hands, not the government's hands, again, at jacemedical.com. So with the theme today, the fact that making red states red again, actually focusing on these legislative battles, actually creating our oasis here for freedom, our sanctuaries, our Noah's Ark, is of greater importance than the presidential election. But unfortunately, some of those same forces on the presidential side are getting in our way to rectify these issues. 
I would say it is so important. I mean, probably one of the best guests we're going to have on regarding this is Andy Roth. He is the president of the State Freedom Caucus Network, really doing everything I've dreamt of doing for all these years. Uh, Later today, you'll see I'll have an article out um, kind of about yesterday's monologue we did on Minnesota, and I'll have in one resource so you don't have to look around the numerical majorities, the, the, the value of the GOP majorities in all of these states we talk about. And you'll just see it right in front of you. And the reason why it's more important is two, two reasons. Number one, you can get a lot more done. If you actually made the red states as red as the blue states blue, even if Biden were reelected for four years, which obviously we don't want, um, it really would limit the, the fallout from that. But number two, it's more of an indication. If you can't win in states where the Democrats are a parked car, They're not a threat to you. They can't do anything to you because there aren't enough people who support them. Then don't tell me how somehow you're going to accomplish all this stuff when you have a pitched 50-50 fight at a minimum at a federal level. That's why this is really where the fight is. And Andy Roth is leading the way with his network of staff and legislators in all these states. He's going to join us today to give us an update. Hey, Andy, it's a pleasure to welcome you back here at Blaze Media. Thanks for having me, Daniel. It's always a pleasure to be with you. So I know you heard yesterday's show, and I figured we'd expand this discussion. So again, we're looking for our version of Minnesota. Um, as most states already ended or are ending their legislative session, obviously we've succeeded on a few bills here and there, but for the most part, it's the same old, same old. We're not passing good stuff. But where do you think you are succeeding? In what way are you succeeding that you feel sets up sets, sets us up for more auspicious outcomes, let's say next session? Yeah, good question. I mean, one of the things that I know that you've talked about uh, extensively with your audience and with your guests is that a lot of these red states um, are very red when it comes to the voters and to the constituents but their elected officials are not as conservative. And so when you talk about success, I think one of our first things that we have to do and something that I think we're doing very successfully is that we're exposing that. Um, We're trying to teach people that looking at the initial after a state lawmaker's name is not enough. It's not enough to say, oh, there's a Democrat, he's bad or there's a Republican, he's good. That doesn't work. Um, In the 11 states where we have state freedom caucuses, it's very easy. Uh, You see if your state lawmaker's in the freedom caucus, and if they are, then that person is good. And if they're not, they're bad. And so the very first thing we can do before we start passing righteous legislation like medical freedom, Um, or ending the cronyism or doing all sorts of awesome things, the first thing we have to do is expose that because then we put the bad guys on their heels and force them to either go with us or defend their actions when they side with the Democrats. So that's really the first order that we're doing. And in South Carolina, we've done it so successfully that the uh, South Carolina Freedom Caucus got kicked out of the House GOP caucus because they've been exposing their liberal Republican colleagues. And then in Wyoming, we've done that 
because, uh, and you've probably heard this before, but there are 57 Republicans in the Wyoming House to only five Democrats. <laughs> so you would so you would think that we would be able to pass all sorts of wonderful things through there but when you look at their actual voting records instead of 57 republicans to 5 democrats it's 36 liberals to 26 conservatives and in that sense we've um we've exposed them statewide in Wyoming to the point where the local press literally mentions the Wyoming Freedom Caucus almost every day because they they can't talk about state politics without mentioning the influence that the Wyoming Freedom Caucus has had. So that's the sort of thing that we're doing um, first and foremost in all of these states. But th- there's also some policy victories that so we've I, had I as think, well that I can get into. And, and I know you're going to get into that. And, I, and, and in case people think you're dodging the question, I think that really was a direct answer that just the exposure is a victory because before you came on, I was talking about the fact that, you know, it's very frustrating. You look at voters like, oh, man, you know, Donald Trump's going to expose the woke. And, and meanwhile, he sides with Bud Light and Disney. It's like, wait, what the heck? Is it that you guys don't give a darn about outcomes? Is You're just here for the show or do you not know? Um, and then I went back to talk about how really this is nothing new. John McCain, Bob Dole, Mitt Romney, like – it's always the most liberal guys that won the nominations. Again, do our voters not care? Do they not know? And I think there might be a little bit of a mixture of both, but certainly what you're saying is is an element of they're just focused on the general election. They go with the names that they know, the incumbents, the ones that have the most name ID. They're only focused on the Ds. And the first step is to make sure people know, wait a minute, they are not, they wear our jersey. They are not one of us. We're going to put on a new jersey and I would I would agree with you in Wyoming and South Carolina. It's come out in the open. So I wanna I wanna talk a little bit about this in South Carolina. Talk a little bit about some of the things that have exposed an open civil war, which again, they're at war with us anyway. So I'd rather make it open rather than us give them cover and perpetuate the status quo quietly without any recourse. What are some of the ways the Freedom Caucus in South Carolina has put themselves on the map in a way that other states could could replicate. Yeah, in fact, I have a great example there. The South Carolina Freedom Caucus saw a bill, HB 3686, that would add diversity, equity, and inclusion and anti-bias training into the code of law. Um, and obviously, that's a bad bill. And so after our members raised awareness, held up passage, and placed a ton of amendments on the desk that would actually prohibit DEI training instead of requiring it, House leadership, which is no friend of the South Carolina Freedom Caucus, they were forced to send the bill back to committee, which effectively killed it. So it's little things like that that we're doing to not only expose the liberal Republicans, but actually block really bad legislation. That's just one example. Um, The example that's going to happen this week in the South Carolina House is repeal of certificate of need. And I know your listeners are probably aware of it, but for those who aren't, certificate of need basically allows incumbent uh, hospitals and medical providers the ability to veto any new competitors into their area. This is an old law that was went way back to the Nixon years in the 1970s 
a lot of states were smart, like Florida, to repeal their certificate of need legislator laws, uh, but it's still on the books in several states. And so South Carolina has been pushing to repeal it for a long time. But because there's that iron triangle of special interest lobbyists, the bureaucracies that run state government, and then also the liberal Republicans who run the legislature, they have been stopping it uh, up until now. But we finally got a repeal bill uh, on the calendar. It passed the South Carolina Senate. And then this is full repeal. Uh, but then the House uh, watered it down and added some amendments that would take like three years for it to implement. And then it would only do so much. But the passage now, even the watered down version, is not going to happen if the bad guys have their way because there's only a few days left in the legislative session. So simply by amending it, the House is effectively killing it because even if they passed it, it would then have to go back to the Senate for approval. And with days running out, that's not going to happen. So we have a fight in the South Carolina House this week to get rid of the watered down amendments and just pass the pure Senate version. Now, the one thing that's stopping us is that the South Carolina Speaker of the House is a lawyer by training. And as you know, most state lawmakers are part-time. So he has a practice that he operates full-time. And guess who his clients are? The hospitals and the medical providers in South Carolina who do not want repeal to happen. And he has taken up to a million dollars in you know legal fees to fight this sort of thing. He also had a medical supply business that he sold to these people, his, his clients. So he has a very strong vested interest in stopping repeal. And so what we're trying to do this week is to expose his huge conflict of interest, force him to defend it or oppose it, and then strip that amendment out and pass full repeal. And it's going to be fireworks in Columbia, South Carolina this week. And that's what we're working on right now. And again, what's the number of this bill? Uh, that's a good question. I, I okay, actually I didn't don't have that on the spot. Me, we'll, but, but I, yeah, yeah. We'll dig it up. I'll, I'll definitely get it. Certificate yep. of need bill, because folks, this is very important because obviously the biggest thing we face is this government manipulated monopolization of industries that aren't just a problem in terms of cost of goods, but the freedoms and the ESG and everything. And, and healthcare is the number one. Healthcare is the biggest part of the economy. It's the biggest job creator. It's also... Um, the mo- biggest pro-life issue. When you when you saw this synergistic relationship between government and the hospitals and the medical cartel during the pandemic to fight against your freedoms, to have death panels, um, you know, pushing bad stuff, blocking good treatment, that's where it comes from. In order to break that, you need competition. So they created this structure where they have this monopoly where the incumbent powers we need to break get to determine whether you could open up a hospital again. I, I always love it. Like you can't tell private business what to do when we're trying to like stand up for rights, civil rights. But then you know they could block your ability to even start competition. Like, well, if you don't like it, start your own hospital, Daniel. If you don't like the treatment, and then meanwhile they make it that you can. They're the judge, jury, and executioner. So Andy, this is emblematic of a broader problem I'm having, and 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 I want to know what you guys plan to do to crack this this code. Um. 
too many of our guys look at this, I think, in a simplistic way. That it's like, okay, there's rhino or establishment versus conservative. There's there's the more right-wing guys. But it, to a certain extent, sometimes it's true. But it's it's too simplistic. Because if we're just that, it's easier, right? You find out who's the fraud. Oh, you're a fraud. You're a fraud. So I'll elect a good guy. But it's more complicated than that. It's a matter of you have the industries within a state especially these smaller red states, they overpower the state. The top five employers in a state, they overpower the state. And number one, Mm -hmm. that is always healthcare. Healthcare is the biggest problem. That's the linchpin of all the medical freedom issues. That's the linchpin of the tranny stuff. Um, You know, they make money off of it. They're pushing it. That's Sanford Health and and the Dakotas, but really in every state to varying degrees. So you could have a guy he comes in with the Southern accent. He goes to Bible study with everyone. He drops God, guns, and babies. You know, and, and there's notable exceptions, but usually they're good on guns. They're good on abortions. But on these type of issues that speak to freedom, and I would argue this is a pro-life issue as well, it, it, we cannot make headway. And I will tell you, I am very disappointed that we've lived four legislative sessions into medical martial law where we all discovered these these public health authorities that were on the books that are horrific, and we're struggling after everything we know, despite all the repudiation of these policies, we're really struggling to get much traction in the states. And to me, that's a much more subtle problem because you know what I mean? Like, they don't reek of being rhinos. Some of them do in Wyoming. There's a couple like that. But they kind of look conservative, but they're either directly bought out, like your example at the South Carolina speaker, or they're just scared. I mean, these guys run the state, and they're just not going to fight them. How do we start building momentum against that? We just have to be loud, because to your point, they they are people within the community, and people know them, and so they think that they're conservative. And especially on issues like guns and babies. Um, as long as they say they're pro-life and pro-gun, then they assume that they're full-spectrum conservatives. Meanwhile, what they're doing in the state capitals, they're undermining uh, abortion laws and gun laws to the point where a bill can't be brought up for a vote because they don't want to be exposed. So they do everything in the shadows to stop uh, bills coming to the floor that would make them accountable for being the liberals that they are. And so, and, and to add on to that, the local media is horrible in a lot of these states. And so they're not going to publish this stuff. They're not, they, you know, the, the state capital is not overrun with a bunch of uh, media reporters and bloggers who are digging into all this and exposing it. So there really is only a few things left out there for us to do. One is to create a freedom caucus that will be in the chambers um, exposing it, which is we're doing very loudly. It means working with folks like you, Daniel, and, and others at the blaze that that um, help amplify this issue as well. It's certainly not enough, but we're making so much traction that it's forcing them on their heels, like I said before. And so it's making them uncomfortable. And if they're uncomfortable, then we know we're doing our, our job. We just have to do it a, a lot more. And let me make uh, one more point. It, it's uh, Senate Bill 164, which is mm. the Certificate of Need repeal bill in uh, South Carolina. So your listeners should definitely look that up and, and see what they can do. 
Yeah, and I think I think you're right about that. It's picking the fight, it's forcing the votes, and that's what's important about a caucus. We're always looking for the one guy that's going to parachute in and, and save us, but one guy can't do this. You need a group of people who feel comfortable together, um, where they're not carrying the burden alone. You have division of labor. You have you know a couple members are experts on this issue, that issue. No one could be an expert on everything. They're part-time people. They don't have much staff, and especially the smaller states. Um, so what do we do now that the sessions are over? What sort of things could we do to pressure off-season? Obviously, we talked about, a lot about the legislature, but the missing ingredient is the governor. Um, aside from Florida, I cannot find a governor that wakes up every day on a full spectrum of issues is trying to drive a narrative. Here and there, you know, you have a governor that will sign a good bill, even push for a good bill, um, on, a, on an isolated issue or two that there's broad kind of Republican consensus behind. But, I mean, the notion that you're going to have them fight the big employers within the state, it's just not going to happen. So the executive branch kind of operates the way it does. Um, the legislatures are very quick. And I, as much as bad things could happen in the legislature, I do think it works against us because we have so many years worth of uncontested bad stuff we need to get rid of. And we, like you said, they, they use the clock. I mean, there's a limit to how much we can build support quickly enough. So, you know, are we just out of luck until next January? What are some things we can do off season to move the ball forward? No, no, you're exactly right on all that. And, and you've, you've outlined the problem, but let me uh, reemphasize it even more. The, the governor, the executive branch, the bureaucracies, the special interests, they're not part time. They operate around uh, the clock all year round. So when conservative lawmakers gavel out at the end of March, April, May, or whatever, and go to their full-time jobs and to their families, those establishment forces are still working very hard to protect what they want to keep. And so the innovation that we've come up with is that we're taking these part-time lawmakers and turning it into a full-time Freedom Caucus. So just because session's over does not mean that the state freedom caucus is done until January. What we're doing is we're, we're doing several things um, off season uh, because we know we have to prepare against the establishment. A couple of really fun things that we're doing is that the state freedom caucus now, because of their increased popularity, they're going on like statewide tours and meeting with every County, every um, third party group, uh, just bringing awareness to all of this. The other, the other thing that they're doing is doing a lot of the heavy lifting legislatively to prepare for January. So they're, um, strategizing, figuring out what are going to be the key issues next year and then lining up all the things that they need to do in order to be successful next year. That means getting the right legislation, uh, ready. That means getting all of the third party groups ready. It means um, connecting uh, media uh, to to bring all of this together so that when they do gavel in uh, in January, they are far more ready to combat the establishment than they otherwise would be. One last thing. In Idaho and South Carolina in particular, but it is happening in other states, because of our Freedom Caucuses bringing awareness to all of this, you are seeing uh, county GOPs censuring their rhino liberal Republican lawmakers. Mm. 
Um, and, and, and in Idaho, it's, it, they're, they're giving a vote of no confidence to these folks. And this is unheard of. Uh, perhaps it's happened in some bygone era that I'm not aware of. But for the first time ever, because of the exposure they're getting, the grassroots, the party apparatus, they are now fighting back. And I can tell you, when a county GOP censures their lawmaker, that scares the heck out of them. And so now they're doing triage trying to figure out how they can to fix this. So they're going to get booted out of office next year. So those things are, are what we're doing in the offseason. We're doing the statewide tours. We're doing the heavy lifting policy-wise. And then we're just encouraging the, the grassroots and the party apparatus to expose these liberal Republicans. I'm just sitting and listening to this. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I mean, what took 20, 30 years? This is right. This is the thing. We're just leaving so much on the table. Again, you look at that Minnesota example, and it's like the second they get a trifecta, it might be a three-seat you know, you know, majority in the House and a one-seat majority in the Senate, and boom, they got it all, every member unified. And I'm like, man, like you said, you know, Wyoming, you have uh, 57 to 5, and like, okay, maybe we get 20 to 25 conservatives. I mean, this is, and again, we are making progress. Believe it or not, last session, it would have been half that. So it's just, it's the, the longer we take to start, the longer it's going to happen. Um, another thing I, I find is that um, governors, and I know Chris Nuno has stated this before in New Hampshire, they believe that their governance is none of the state legislature's business and we believe in separation of powers that you know the powers to direct directly flow from elected people and that you know it's precisely the biggest decisions that actually do need legislative input um in fact the you know it's like naming a post office or equivalent on a state level that's never done without the legislature but that i can do without it it's this other stuff that's important i mean like covid it was just like that's when you needed march april 2020 you should every session in legislature hearings each aspect of this the legal authority the prudence the science the medicine nothing we're out so what what are you guys working on to have what's been lacking is oversight where and it's even when they are in session, but certainly when they're not. So the Department of Education, Department of Health, um, you look in Florida, and he's really you know the governor's really put in a lot of people that are actually making the department's forces for good. They they amplify our values, but in almost every other red state, these departments is may as well be New York, California. They're awful, awful. Is there a way to continuously monitor that? Call the foul. And, you know, whether it's letters, media, press, embarrassing the governor, embarrassing the health director, is that part of your agenda? Yeah, I mean, all of the above, for sure. I mean, this goes back to the point I made earlier, which is that the the establishment is full-time, but the conservative lawmakers are part-time. But it's worse than that. You know, they they have no staff. They have no resources, the, the lawmakers do. So providing oversight is like the 99th thing that they are responsible for that they don't have time for. And so what we try to do is provide them with the help to to do all of these things. And so our Freedom Caucuses have gone after governors. We've gone after attorneys general. We've gone after the investment councils that measure or that that um, that invest the pensions. Uh, and they're you know, they are doing all sorts of awful things with, you know, ESG mandates and that sort of thing. So just constant pressure on all of these folks, because 
they thrive, the establishment thrives when they have no exposure, when they aren't being called out for their uh, bad things. They love to operate in the dark like cockroaches. And so the, the, the best thing that we can do is just be loud. And, and I wish that we had the resources to tackle, you know, 500 different, um, targets. Uh, but, but we don't, but we're getting better and better every day and every year. Do you guys have any plans to venture into governorships or you just want to stay in your lane? Cause I'm just finding that's the 800 pound gorilla in the room is, is the governor. No, that's. No, that's right. And and we we don't I mean, you you can't really have a Freedom Caucus governor. I mean, you certainly could if a member of the House Freedom Caucus in D.C. ran or if one of our own state lawmakers ran. That would be a wonderful godsend. I will say this, though, is that when you expose the establishment, then people see that they have an ally in their state Freedom Caucus. And when you see that happen, then you see people who get off their couch and say, you know what, I'm going to run for office now that I have a Freedom Caucus that I could be a part of, or now I'm going to run for governor because I see that there's actually an entity out there that's willing to fight for me. So I, I do think that there are different ways we can attack that problem because I completely agree with you. Having only one good governor out of 50 is just an atrocious record. But if we just continue to do what we do, I hope that we can bring some patriots um, into the conversation who are willing to, you know, spare some time and treasure to run for office and succeed. Yeah. And obviously there are some governor's elections. You have Louisiana and uh, Mississippi and Kentucky. I mean, I don't know how far we're going to get. We'll definitely have an improvement, hopefully, in Louisiana um, and I guess in Kentucky and R versus a D. I don't know the quality of the R. Um, we do have the lieutenant governor race as well. There is a governor's race in, in, in uh, Mississippi, a primary. I mean, these are things we all have to look at. Lieutenant governors are important in the South for controlling the, the Senate agenda in each of those respective states. Um, do you have – so you're in 11 states. Is there any other state you plan on venturing into uh, – um, in the future you're looking at? We do, we do, but let me make that quick point that you just made. Uh, in Louisiana, Jeff Landry, the attorney general, is likely going to run for governor. And as far as I can tell, I think he's the runaway favorite. Yeah. Landry was Landry was in Congress um, previously. Um, I don't believe he was in the House Freedom Caucus. His tenure was right before that. But he was very much uh, a Freedom Caucus kind of guy. So Having him in the legislature with a Freedom Caucus, or having him in the uh, the governor's mansion and having a, a Louisiana Freedom Caucus, that will be the first time for us where we have both of those things. And so I yes. think that uh, Louisiana is a cheap penny stock that I would recommend <laughs> people buy because I yes. think that um, the future is bright there. And to your point about the lieutenant governor in Mississippi, that's uh, State Senator Chris McDaniel. I think that he would um, do uh, he would improve the culture in Mississippi uh, quite well there. Um, so I, I, I am looking forward to all that. And to your, to your final question, we do have a lot of states that are interested. I don't think I can um, publicly name sure. them, but I can tell you that, that there are very red states, very big states that are on our list, and even some, some um, very liberal states in New England that we have an opportunity to get involved in. So we have a lot of demand. 
um, and we just need to provide the supply to, to help them, and, and, and we'll get there eventually. Okay, how could people follow your work going forward? Yeah, they can go to statefreedomcaucus.org. Uh, they can check out our map. It shows where all of our Freedom Caucuses are. They can go to uh, our substack, which is uh, SFCN. That stands for State Freedom Caucus Network. So sfcn.substack.com. And then they can also follow me on Twitter, um, at Andy Roth. Boy, you were lucky there to get your name as is perfect. And, and, and you did great work there. I mean, your South Dakota Freedom Caucus went live with that whole cryptocurrency ban, that, that bill yeah. that led to ICC. And I, I picked it up. Glenn picked it up. And, you know, the, you know, the Florida governor was talking about that today, that bill, um, and how they blocked it. We blocked it in most states. That was a perfect example of how a lot of people are just unaware. You need people standing guard, legislative Minutemen. I just love it. Keep up the good work. We'll stay in touch. All right. Thanks, Daniel. Take care. Take care. So again, Andy Roth there, what a breath of fresh air. I mean, there is so much initiative there, so much strategy, so much thinking. I just love the guy. Um, He interviewed over a thousand candidates throughout his career when he was at the club for growth. And he just understands what the problem is, what we're lacking, what we need to do. Uh, I I can't endorse their work enough. Um, At first, we're kind of ambiguous. Well, maybe some states have their own caucus. But I think on net, it was worth having something more unified and they've done a lot of work exposing it is the first thing because this gets back to what we started with. Too many people, you look at them, they share our values on paper, but then they're like, oh, I'm voting for Mitt Romney. I'm voting for John McCain or Donald Trump's going to fight for us. And it's just lost on them. It's lost on them because we never picked the fight because we're all focused on the R versus D soap opera. Now we're focused on one man. And, and here's my challenge to anyone out there supporting Trump. What are you doing aside from that to actually make America great again? I mean, this type of work is where it matters. If we could all work on this and then somehow we have a disagreement on on the top choice for president, it would re- wouldn't really matter much. Then again, the fact that you're making that choice is kind of indicative of of where your priorities are because it's not just about a one man, it's about a vision, it's about what you broadly stand for. And and this is my concern. My The reason why I got involved more in the presidential election than I planned on is because I saw it's now interfering with our stuff. In order to service this man, we're going to toss out other good people, other good ideas. We're not going to be able to talk about the successes in Florida anymore because that will get in his way. We can't talk about boycotting the woke com- companies, which is something we need to do because GOP donors. Well, that's the whole enchilada, folks. So again, I'm meeting, by the way, tonight with our state directors of our Liberty Strike Force teams that are going to work with a lot of the Freedom Caucuses. Um, And if you want to join a team, you can go to conaction.network. We still are looking for teams in a number of red states, uh, you know, states like uh, Texas, obviously, Oklahoma, Arkansas, um, Kansas, we need, and as well as South Dakota. There's a few others as well. We can go through that maybe more tomorrow. We'll have a special guest talk a little bit again about the COVID shots, uh, some of the latest news on that. Send me your comments, questions, concerns to Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. Until tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.